Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we've got another great episode lined up for today. Our guest today is the Executive Vice President of Strategic Consulting at Avora IT Solutions. Please welcome to the Frontline Innovators, Bill Padula. Hello, Bill. Hello, Justin. Thank you. Good to be here. Really excited to have you here. You have a very interesting path uh, passed down the mobile path. And I'm really excited to be able to explore that with our guests. So let's start off as we do with every show and ask you what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless or frontline workforce today. That's a great question. And to me, the biggest challenge facing kind of that workforce is that the providers and the the implementers will say of the applications that they use um, don't always fully appreciate or understand the environment that they work in or the mentality of the worker. And what I mean by mentality is if they're, you know, I work with a lot of field service maintenance technicians and their focus is on installing equipment, repairing the broken machine, putting a pipe in the ground, whatever it is, their wrench turning work. The mobile application that they use is just a tool that they have to have to do their job. But they don't, you know, they don't, um, they don't really understand the technology behind it. They don't want to understand the technology. It's not that they can. It's just their focus is on doing the job that they're going out to do and the orders that they have and, and that kind of thing. And the, the the app and the device and the technology is really secondary. It's kind of a necessary evil. You know, I got to use this thing. I got to put my time in it, record my parts, whatever have you. Um, but I don't really care how it works. I just want it to work when I have to use it. And then I go back and do the stuff that, that I like to do or is really my job. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge along with um, their environment, right? Sometimes they're working outside. They're working in the sub-sub basement. They're working up in a, you know, in a turbine uh, or, they, you know, they're just out and about. And, and that environment is is different every day. You know, they could be on a, a manufacturing floor where there's a big equipment and loud machines, right? Um, it's not always clean and tidy. It's not an office. Um, you know, it's, it's dirty. It's not micro dirty, but it's not a clean environment, right? <laughs> so understanding that or the lack of understanding of that, I think makes a challenge to the users when they get these apps um, and they're supposed to use them. And it's, all right, you know, they're not techie people, right? Some are, right? But they're not, that's not their passion. Right. And so they look at it as, how do I use this? How do I put it in? Um, and and how do I just be done with it so I can go back to doing my other stuff? And they don't, you know, they don't know what SAP is. They don't know what Oracle is or Salesforce or ServiceNow, whatever your big backend system. Like they may have heard the names, but they don't really want to know the processes and how it all ties in. It's how does this machine that I'm working on tie into the process in the plan or in the power lines or the water network, whatever it is. That's what they know and, and want to know. Um, the the app that they use is really just, hey, I got to put my stuff in there. I get it. 
but I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want it to be hard. I want it to just work and it's easy and I'm done with it as quick as I can. I really want to come back. First of all, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you just said. Um, specifically the part about providers don't know the environment and I want to come back to that. But before I do that, I'd like to give our audience a chance to understand a little bit about your background and, and what gives you the perspective that you have. Um, so give us a little bit about your journey and uh, what's led you to uh, Avora IT Solutions. So yeah, I've been at Avora for eight years, a little over eight years. Um, right now I manage our North American SAP practice. Um, but my background really started, um, you know, in technology, but in mobility in 1999 when I started at a, and then a little company called Cyclo. Um, and I was, you know, one of the first consultants. I went out and implemented the apps. I did the training for the users. I went ride-alongs with users. You know, I saw how it was all used firsthand and, and spent time with, with the techs. Um, and have been through, stayed in the mobile game as it's evolved. And, you know, back then, um, it was CDPD networks. There wasn't Wi-Fi as we know it now. You know, Wi-Fi networks that were also used to didn't really come into play until the early 2000s. Um, uh, we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have iPads. We had little HP Jornadas or Novotel contacts. You had these different kind of fit-for-purpose devices. It wasn't a, it's my phone and my tablet that I use for everything. And I do yeah. this work stuff on I was, I was going to ask um, how you could possibly have been in mobility in 1999 when the iPhone didn't get launched until 2007. Like, how is yeah. that even possible? Um, there were a, a bunch of devices. Well, I shouldn't say a bunch, but there were several devices that ran Windows CE. Um, and it was the predominant kind of mobile operating system. And, you know, fun part about Windows CE is the devices had a, a main battery that was rechargeable and they had a backup battery. And if both of those went flat, the device reset itself. Um, so you kind of had to take that into account too, you know, where do people charge things? Um, you know, having to charge your device all the time was a new concept. Um, cause people didn't, cell phones were there, but not everybody had them. You know, they were still kind of becoming mainstream as well. And those um, devices all had proprietary charging solutions anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to go, you know, you're rolling out 70 technicians. Where do you put the bank of 70 chargers? So they can all come in and plug their devices in and, you know, yeah. at the end of their shift, you know, think like all that stuff, it, it uh, a little different now because everybody's used to having the devices and they think about charging them. Um, but it 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 it's it's been interesting to see it evolve, right? Because people are more familiar with technology. Um, you know, back then it was brand new. You you handed a device to a group of techs that you were going to train, and they're like, "What's this? Like, I had no idea what this thing is." Um, and we used to, the devices used to come with solitaire on them, right? And they actually would use that. We'd use it as a training tool, like how to touch the screen, because you'd have a stylus and it was touch screen. And solitaire was the way to teach them how hard to press, not hard to press, because they'd be afraid they're going to tap the screen and they're going to break it with the little stylus. Um, you know, it was new. It, it was foreign. It wasn't people didn't have smartphones. Um, really, that came with the iPhone where people got more comfortable. Um, and then from there, you know, we got Android, we got iPhone, you know, everything's out there and people are like, oh, it's a device. I get the device. Right. But you had to start with training on what's the device and how does it work before you even got to the application and how does the application work and how do I use that? So what happened with Cyclo? Um, Cyclo continued to grow. Like when I started, we, we, we primarily did mobile applications for maintenance and service. 
right? Um, and then when I was there, well, when we started, it was a lot of Maxima was the backend, um, as well as some data streams, some N4, like other systems. We got into SAP in kind of the mid 2000s, and then eventually we were acquired by SAP um, in 2012. So then I stayed at SAP for about a year, um, and then I kind of went into the consulting business outside and, and you know, went through a couple of big SIs um, and then came to Aurora. So we got a little Excellent. exposure in the middle to kind of non-maintenance mobile applications. Um, yeah. When I was with HCL, kind of everything else, which was pretty cool to, you know, take what I knew and, and from that perspective and apply it in other areas. And then at Avora, we do a lot of mobility for SAP. We also do scheduling, kind of scheduling kind of is a natural evolution. When you put in a mobile solution, you're taking people paperless a lot um, still, but back in the day, it was always, we're moving off paper to the system, but how do we assign the work to the technicians? Um, a lot of people would start their day with like a morning meeting uh, where the, the lead or the you know the supervisor would hand out the paperwork orders or give them the clipboards with what they were supposed to do. And then, you know, they'd turn them at the end of the day and some admin would, would key them in usually. Um, sometimes the technicians meant, you know, it was more more costly to have a technician do it. Plus they would have to learn the system, uh, right. which was a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a, so I got more into scheduling because that goes hand in hand with mobility, right? As you mobilize people, how do we digitally assign the work? How do we schedule it? How can we look at the results and kind of the whole maintenance process and, and service process from a, a digital execution perspective? So you and I were introduced by a mutual customer and I knew from the minute I, I looked at your background and in the way that we were introduced, I, I knew that we were going to have a lot to talk about. And you started off by saying the providers don't know the environment or mentality of the workforce. And I, I want to go back to that because I agree with you completely. And I'm still scratching my head a little bit on why this happens. I have some theories about the reasons, but I'd, I'd like to just get your take on it because to me, it seems so obvious when I'm talking to somebody else, you've already mentioned things like doing ride-alongs and going out and you yeah. said not micro dirty, but dirty. I love that expression. That'll probably be the quote for the episode today. It's not micro dirty, but it's dirty. So, you know, you've been out there, you've seen a day in the life of the, the men and women and they're out in the field in these roles, but a lot of the providers, the big players in particular, just seem to not get it. They, they haven't spent a day in the life. And I'm, I'm curious why that is, and I want to get your take on that. Why do you think they just haven't taken the time to understand? Because it, it often represents the majority of the workforce, yeah. and yet it seems um, to be this like huge blind spot for them. I wish I could tell you why. Um, you know, it, back in the cyclo days, being, I, you know, I was the consultant for a while, um, and then I actually ran pre-sales and, and kind of, We'd take a lot of the feedback that we heard and feed it back into product development from what we heard, what we saw in the field when the text would be like, I don't get it, right? How can we help it be better? But I don't, to answer your question, I don't know. Um, you know, you see design of apps and I look at some of them and I, I kind of think to myself, you know, you might get an award for like design from this is the most beautiful screen ever, um, but it's not practically functional for the technician. Like you, I was talking to somebody years ago and I'm like, when you look at, you ever seen the systems that like stock traders use on the mm -hmm. floor, it's a yeah. screen, it's jammed full of numbers. They know where everything is. They can read it. They don't want it to change and they can, you know, it totally works for them, right? It's got a lot of information flowing through and 
to a, I think to a, a mobile technician, they kind of want the same thing. Like I don't want to have to click a lot of places to go see the information. I don't need big graphics that tell me the status of the work. What's the current work order and how long have I been working on it? Like I know where I am and I know what I'm doing and really it's the same process. You know, if I'm doing a preventative maintenance on a, a pump, I, I kind of know the routine. Um, I know what I'm doing. I really need to know where do I go? What am I doing when I'm there? And yeah, I need to record some parts and record the time and give you the information that the business wants to, you know, push all the other processes that have to happen around it. But they don't need a lot of pretty graphics. It doesn't need to be super pretty. It needs to be really functional. Right. And can I get what I need out of it quickly? And that's what they want. Um, why people kind of go the other way with it. it some of it is is the sales process of uh, you got to walk in the room, you got to show your app and the people inside the four walls, you know, call it in corporate or, you know, in the office who aren't as familiar with what happens in the, in the field, want it to look pretty. Yep. And, and I've heard people say, you know, we want the application to look the same in the office and out in the field. And, you know, so all different types of users can, can use it. And I, I challenge that because I say the folks who work in the field don't come in the office and you don't really want them in the office because then they're not out in the field. They're not making the money folks in the field or excuse me, the folks in the office, they may go out to the field, but when they go out to the field, they're not picking up the wrenches and doing the work, you know, maybe they're supervising or maybe they're doing something, but they're not, it's different jobs for different people. And the roles are different within the company and the field force is often, you know, the majority of the workforce, particularly in the field service or in some of these maintenance organizations, um, they're a big chunk of the operation, right? You know, in a manufacturing company, the people working on the manufacturing line probably way outnumber the maintenance staff. But if you're a utility and you got field workers or you're an oil, oil and gas type company and you get the, the folks that are out maintaining all the wells and, you know, everything that happens out there, that's the majority of the workforce. Um, and that's where the information comes from that want to drive your processes. So right. you got to tailor it and dial it in for them and, and make it easy for them. I agree with that. I, and I have a theory. Let me let me run this by you and see what your your take is, because it it seems to me most of the time a company is implementing big digital transformation initiatives. It's often not necessarily aimed at making the life of the frontline worker better. It often is tied to a bigger, more strategic initiative from the C-suite or elsewhere in you know at the corporate office about objectives that they're trying to accomplish could be improved revenue, it could be better cost accounting, it could be improved inventory accuracy, right? All the other kind of big initiatives that drive profitability, right? In the bottom line. And it seems to me that if that's the initiative, if that's the focus, that's also what causes there to be some overlook, you know, for the field, because we're trying to accomplish inventory accuracy. And so this mobile app that we're asking the field's service guys or, or the delivery drivers to use is just a means to that end. But to the point that you just made, they often represent the majority of the user population. So when we see things break down on these digital transformation initiatives, it's because the majority of the workforce hasn't been involved, right? They are a necessary component. They, they end up becoming the weak link in the chain. And that's not because of them. 
that's because we haven't really given them the attention that they need or to all the things you just said about the design of the application. We're trying to make it look the way that the accounting department wants it. And we're sticking that user interface onto you know, a mobile device, but that's not what the field tech needs. The field tech's doing a different job in a different place on a different device. Why are we mirroring the user interface from, from corporate? Yeah. Well, you think there's anything to that? That the, the the motivation is coming from corporate, not from the field, and that's what's maybe causing the providers to just not pay enough attention to the field workers. Um, yeah, I think the the they're often the initiative comes from corporate, right? How can we save money? How can we improve our operations? How can we be more efficient? That kind of thing, right? And then they look and they go, okay, mobility is the way to do that. We hear it works well, so let's invest in mobile. But they don't often always fully appreciate what that investment takes. Like here, we're going to stick in the app, give it to the field and they're going to use it. But it's that that piece of understanding how the field works, dialing in the app to be what they want. And, you know, there's, you can have apps that there's five different ways to do things. When you go to technician, you go to a lot of people, frankly, give me one way and that one way works all the time and just teach me the one way. I don't need, I don't want to know all 10 different ways that I can do this. Um, you know, and then they've got one path. Um, they get too much information. Some things like, does the, you know, when you complete a work order, there's a lot of costing that goes on and needs to post to whatever your backend system is, right? The technician doesn't really care. He just wants to say, I use this part. It was there. I put in my two hours. Here's when I started the work. Here's when I finished the work. You know, are there any safety concerns? That kind of, I'm done. Right? done. Let that all happen in the back end and roll up and the the back office people but what about this case is it where does it go where does the cost go how do you break that down and make it easy for the technician to say i did this or i did that and that's an english word that they know i often kind of go let's put it in english because they don't speak techie they don't speak the the technology right. um they don't speak finance right um just what's the words that they know and they can go oh it's it's you know, it was blue, it was red or whatever the, the simple breakdown is. And that translates back to what goes in the 10 different codes that can be in the, in the system. Yeah. Right. Bill, you just, something you said just really struck a chord with me because I've, I've witnessed this exact scenario and this has been an evolution. So if you go back to the days of, of Cyclo and many of the early mobile applications that we were rolling out on Windows CE and Windows Mobile back in the early days, pre-iPhone, pre-Android, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. There was a very linear workflow in most of those applications, right? You, you had a sequence of steps that you went through and it followed a day in the life of the worker in most cases when they were done well. And there's this bit, there's been this evolution that's happened. Another thing that I can't really explain why other than because it's possible development teams and product owners have chosen to do this, but I literally sat in a client meeting where we were doing some discovery with them to understand how their software worked. And they said, well, there's five different ways that a user can go do this thing. Literally, it was almost verbatim what you just said. And I, my first question was like, why, why, why would you go through the trouble of creating five different ways to do the same thing? And I, I think what's happened is software vendors want to talk about their flexibility and configurability and all of these things that sound magical when you're in the sales and marketing process, 
But then when it actually comes down to like where the rubber meets the road, no user in the world wants to have to figure out between five ways to do something. So th this was in the context of Skillful. And we said to the customer, okay, well, we need to work together to pick the one way that we would consider a best practice because we're not going to go train them on five ways to do something. We're going to train them on the one way that's most efficient and the best practice, you know, the, the most productive way. Any hints as to what's your take on why vendors are doing this? I, I think they're actually causing themselves more harm, certainly causing the frontline workers more harm, but I think they're causing themselves more harm in an attempt to sound agile and flexible and have all these great capabilities. Any hot takes on that? Um, yeah, I think it's, 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 to try to differentiate themselves from the other vendor. Right? Yeah, We're the other guys only have three ways to do this. <laughs> I've got all these different ways to do it. It's not, I have your a process that you can just follow, right? Or we can adapt it a little bit, but I don't need to redo it. Um, it's here. Right? And they want to sound flexible. They want to sound like I can do everything. And that's what a lot of people want to hear. I think some of it is, is, the, is the audience that's listening to the vendor pitch educated on what you know what the field needs or what they really want to consider when they're doing their evaluation um, does it matter that there's five different ways to do it or do you need one way or two way you know this condition that you know, i'm inside i'm outside these are the conditions that right. i'm going to roll through it um, right. yeah it's a it's a challenge that what we find is we often are simplifying the apps um, we're taking some of the options out so there's one or two ways to do it, or there's one example I use is, is there's a inventory application where you can, you know, you can do different movement types and there's five or six of them that the user would pick from a dropdown and then go to a screen where some of the fields were enabled and some of them were disabled and kind of scroll around and find the right field that they want to put everything in. And, and we took it and we said, okay, no more dropdown. Here's a button that says issue to work order issue to sales order, issue to cost center. Here's three buttons. And when you click that button, it's all the same transaction under the hood with a different type, but here's the screen with just the four fields you need, you're done. Here's the screen, just the five fields you need, you're done. To the user, they go, oh, I'm issuing to an order. I'm issuing, it simplifies it. They don't know all the backend coding and stuff. Um, you gotta keep that stuff simple. And I think that makes a big difference in, in usability. But why does everybody want to put all the options in there? I just think they, 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 it goes back to my initial point. They don't realize that the user community doesn't want all the options. Doesn't, that's not what they understand or what they want to understand. Their real job is something else. And this is just the system, you know, the system of record or the system we need to keep track of it. They don't, they don't care about all that stuff. You get a, you get somebody every once in a while who does and really gets to know well, but the learning curve on that is also, steeper right if you got to know what every type is without a good description in a techie term the, the, the mechanic doesn't doesn't know it doesn't care yeah so. well it, it feels to me looking back over the history of the last two decades or so in an attempt to bring more and more digital solutions to the front lines of the global economy we've put a we've placed a significant greater burden on the men and women on the front lines to have to adopt more technology. There's more variability, all the things that we're talking about here. And it's kind of funny to think back to, to two decades ago when you were talking about, you know, literally being at Cyclo at 1999, that, you know, I, I actually think the technology, it, it was a little bit 
more foreign at the time because we were doing things on mobile then that seemed more futuristic, I guess, for lack of a better term. But the reality was that those workflows were actually, they were fairly rudimentary, but I mean that in actually a good way, right? They yeah, were they was, were linear. They were simple to understand and it followed a day in the life of that technician. And, and unfortunately, we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. And now the average frontline worker, I, I don't know, I don't have a statistical, like we haven't done any research on this, but just anecdotally, I would say the average frontline worker in field service or delivery applications probably has three, four or five different applications that they have to need to, to use to do their job. And in all of those cases, there are multiple workflows in order to perform each of those functions. Yeah. And the more you can tie that together into one system or yeah. one consistent workflow and guide them through what they're doing, you know, the easier it is for them. It's, right. it's that the simplistic approach is really what I think makes the difference. And in the, as you said, in the early days, we were kind of limited. It was simplistic because that's kind of all we could do. Right, uh, and now we've got a lot of options. But it, even from the the flexibility and the configurability of the apps, it used to be limited. We could only do so much. You can only change so much in your application, and now you can change everything. And that's the good news and the bad news. Right, just because we can doesn't mean that we should. We should, and how do we? But we need to do something. Right? Yeah, you always got to dial it in a little bit. But. So when I'm talking to folks that have been around the kind of quote unquote enterprise mobility space since before the iPhone and, you know, before iOS and Android. It's interesting and not at all surprising to me, the percentage of times that those folks, you're an example of this, immediately talk about doing ride-alongs and, and, you know, spending time in the field to see the women and men out in the field, how they are working, how they're doing their job, what tools they're using. You even mentioned environmental circumstances and stuff like that. So that's, that's all near and dear to my heart. I'm wondering if, some of the folks listening um, would be curious to hear what are some of the observations that you've made? Is any story come to your mind about something that maybe wasn't obvious when you were meeting with the client back in the conference room, but when you got to go spend a day you know, with a, a tech in the field that you kind of came back to the conference room after and said, you know, I had an epiphany moment because I saw this thing out in the field. Does anything come to mind? Um, a few things. Like One is just the the focus or the the objective they have on doing their job. I went along with a, a right along with the delivery driver um, for a, a, a soda manufacturer right? and and or distributor and like going into the stores, reloading the shelves. Every bottle's facing forward. Really, this is what I'm paying attention to, and I got to do the app and go check out with the guy who who runs the store. Um, the the Another is kind of the terminology and their familiarization with it. We used to do, like I would do training and then go on the ride along kind of the next day and help support them as they're they're adopting to the application. Um, and you would find out that if you said transmit, synchronize, upload, download, um, whatever, post, send, like every word you could have for synchronizing your app, they, they kind of would be like, what are you saying? Like yeah. pick a word and go with it and just keep it simple. And, and seeing that, that but they'll also understand it all. Like if you can right. explain it and it's simple and clear, you know, they'll, they'll, these are people that can, they can fix anything that's broken. Right. <laughs> so they can pick up how to do anything. If you just explain it to them um, in their language and not 
not the corporate language. And they don't, you know, they're focused on their job. They're focused on that piece of it. And they, a lot of them are really passionate about it. You know, some have been doing it for a few years, some have been doing it for 20 years, whatever. They're, they're, that's what their objective. They want to do that. They want to do their job. They want to go home at the end of the day, go to their family, go hunting, go whatever it is, go fishing, whatever, yeah. right? That's their focus. And if the app doesn't work for them and the app slows them down, they just get frustrated with it. And then, you know, the corporate side doesn't get what they want out of it. If you make it, if you give them what they need, then they use it and it drives everything. And I think yeah. that's what I kind of learned early was dial in the app, let the users like it and keep it simple. And then it goes. If, yeah. You know, they're, they're play, there's always exceptions to everything in your story about somebody who didn't like the device and, you know, device got thrown through a truck or whatever. Like you get exceptions everywhere, but the vast majority of people are there to do to do their job to do a good job and you know deliver the work yeah actually you just said something else it's a bit of a trigger for me too which is um kind of catering to the exceptions rather than the majority i feel like that that comes up a lot i'll, I'll hear some anecdote that oh well you don't understand justin our guys are still using flip phones in the field and i'm like okay there's a guy you have a thousand texts. There's two guys that are still using flip phones, but don't give me the bullshit that they're all still using flip phones <laughs> because Facebook has 2 billion users and your guys are probably on Facebook and Instagram, right? Yeah. Like I know they're out there. I know they're using smartphones, but what happens is we get one example of some guy that's got a flip phone and we say, well, we lower our expectations of the entire workforce and their ability or our ability to be successful because we found one or two guys out in the field with, you know, with a flip phone yeah. or, or some other limitation that is essentially self-imposed limitation. And the reality is, you know, in my hypothetical here, there's 998 other people that are using an Android device in their personal life. They're FaceTiming with their family, right? Yeah. They're doing yeah. all of these other things. <laughs> but we're going to impose limitations on our ability to be successful because we stumbled across Jimmy who's still insistent on using a smartphone, right? Or, or not using a smartphone, excuse me. And I think that holds people back. I think people listening to this work in organizations that are held back from being as successful as they could be because instead of just ignoring the two or three exceptions in their organization, they get hyper-focused on that and use it as an excuse to be successful. And um, so I, I think your point is very well taken. You made me think of something as you, as you were saying that too, which is a lot of it is change and it's just fear of change. I remember yes. teaching a class years ago and and I did two different classes and they were all like, oh, wait till Jimmy, I don't remember his name, like, comes in for the next one, right? Um, I'm like, all right. And this guy walks in, he's six, eight, you know, he's a big dude right yeah. and kind of gruff and the whole deal and i'm like all right i'm like here's what we're doing and then we taught him how to use the app and he's like all right wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be and it's it's fear of change and yeah. a lot of it is change management how do you teach the people to use this how do you get them comfortable with the idea why are we doing this you know there's the why are we doing this but how does it work what's your piece in it it's not that big of a deal like you can i remember when I made the, you know, I was teaching a class and these guys were kind of hemming and hawing and they were both wearing John Deere hats. And I'm like, and they were kind of old guys. And one guy's like, can we just hold off on this whole thing till I retire? And right. I'm, like, I'm 12 know, months away. Just buy me another 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here now. 
right? And I finally, I'm like, how old's your tractor? And he's like, which one? <laughs> I'm like, your oldest one, you know? And it's 1950 something that was my grandfather's whatever. I'm like, what happens when that thing breaks? He's like, I fix it. I'm like, exactly. And you can fix anything. You can figure this out. Yeah. And it's a little bit of confidence. It's 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 unknown. It's new. It's change. You know, why do people still have flip phones? Because they're comfortable with them. Yes. They, they only want to text. Maybe they don't want to look stuff up on the internet. Okay. Right. But you can figure out how to use these apps and, and do it. And if you keep the app simple and it's not crazy and it's, it only plays more to them, but you're right. There, there's often a lot of exception management. Oh, we can't do this over here. They do it this way. They'll never do this. Like that's, this is your chance to, to change. But some of that exception doesn't always come from the field. It comes from the office sometimes too. I agree. Um, I had one where I just thought of it that, you know, technicians out in the field, we were kind of designing process. And I'm like, okay, the tech's out in the field and you send them out to this oil field to do whatever you're supposed to do, right? When they see something else that needs to get done, you know, they want to be able to create a work order and record that they did it. So you know that they, you know, the time they spend and all that. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. It has to go through approvals. Anytime they create a work order, got to go through approvals, right? So they, uh, once you get, I'm like, but the guy's going to do the work in the field. Right. And you're not going to send him back out there a second time. You know, you got to you got to work through the back office exceptions, too. So obviously training is near and dear to 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 us. And one of the things that you just mentioned that I think is really important, and it was um, it was a relatively new learning for me since we've had skillful is that we, you talked about the change management element being really important. And I think one of the unexpected things that we've come across a lot is the anxiety and fear that the people that we support have about learning in the production environment. They're afraid to break something as they're learning. And so they feel like people are looking over their shoulder, you know, during this, yep. this exercise and at the risk of turning this into a you know, a commercial for skillful. That's not my intent. But one of the the learnings that we've had here is that the value of simulation training gives them a safe place so that they can go into the software or something that feels like the software because it's a simulation and they they can lower that anxiety anxiety a little bit. So it's not just about informing them about how to do that workflow in a particular way, but it's about giving them a safe place to go practice that. Yeah. And uh, that's been really, it's been motivating to me personally as one of the leaders of this business, but also as just somebody who's always cared a lot about the people that we support in the field and just having a, a deeper understanding of what's causing them to be resistant. It's they want to do well. As you've said several times in this conversation already, they're actually really good at doing their job. They're proficient. They're efficient. They are representing their brand well in front of their customer, right? They're doing all the core things that we want them to do. But now we've introduced this new technology and it takes away their self-confidence a little bit because they have to learn something new. And so how can we make that easy on them, you know, so that they can feel that they can learn in a safe environment? And of course, our technology is one piece to do that, but that that's just part of the picture. And I'm actually curious to see, I mean, you've been around the block in the mobility space for a long time. What are some of the 
techniques and practices that you've implemented to help ensure that the the folks that you're supporting on the mobile side of things are are able to learn successfully? Any best practices you can share with us? Yeah, and I've got a story for you first that we thought of as I've learned more about your platform, right? But the evolution of technology has kind of made training more challenging. So back in the day when I started doing this and you had these devices that were fit for purpose, um, you could put a memory card in it and you could say, you could make 10 work orders that um, you can kind of copy them, put them on a memory card, go to every device, pop the thing in, copy them. And your, your 10 folks in your training class all had the exact same 10 work orders that were dummies, right? And you could walk through and teach them and they would click on the device and use the application, you know, kind of live to, to learn it, right? The apps all ran offline. So you just never synchronized it at the end. And when you were done, you just delete it, right? And then go give them the real work. With the evolution of technology that people started worrying about security, I don't know yep. why, right? So you you now everything's secured, everything's encrypted, databases encrypted, you know, it's tied to your user. Doing that, you can't do that that way anymore. So to do training, you have to go to a training environment and someone has to go create, you know, 10 work orders for 10 people, which is a hundred work orders. You got to download them on devices. You got to let, and then you could go through and do the training, but then you got to kind of throw all that junk data away when you're done, right? Um, so it's made the training process a little more, like that's labor intensive. So then we look at alternatives. Well, maybe we'll just do it all in PowerPoint, right? Or we'll do a you know video training. Um, and people, it's made it harder to train the users because they're not touching and feeling and loving the application. And to me, that's always been the best is when you can give them the device. And, and nowadays they're usually familiar with the device. Right? right. Unless it's got a case and maybe it has some bells and missiles. But in the early days, we had to teach them like, here's the device. Here's how you charge it. Here's, here's what a stylus does. Here's right. what a stylus does. Here's how you click on the screen. Yeah. You know, what happens when calibrations go bad, like everything. Right. You know, all the fundamentals. So you've kind of got that out of the way for a lot of people. But there are still some that that would be new for. And you need to realize that the guy who uses a flip phone may need the how to where the touchscreen works, but sure. also realize he's out in the field with a glove on. So how does that work for him? Right. right? So maybe they need the pen. Um, right. But, yeah. but then if you can give them the actual app or the experience of using the application and they can practice and get comfortable with it, knowing that they're in a safe environment, I'm not going to mess up production because if I mess up production, then my supervisor's got to think like, the cascades, right? And they don't right. They don't want something to go wrong. They don't want to do the wrong thing. They don't want to break it. They don't want to be the cause of someone else having to do extra work. Um, so really hands-on is the best way to train and the best way to learn. And when you think about the people, you know, how do they learn? How does a mechanic learn his trade? How does an electrician learn their trade? They do it all hands-on. Yeah. So doing this training hands-on or something really close to hands-on, right? Like, like skillful. Right. Yeah. Um, not to make a commercial for you, but like, yeah. like it's a tool, right? And they can learn it that way. Um, and that's the best training for your technicians. And it gives them what they care about, which is, you know, this application. They don't need to. You know, they don't care about all the downstream processes very much, other than hey, this is what happens when you complete your work. Then we can do this next thing. Right? Some of them yeah. care a little bit about that, but 
you know, yeah. they don't they don't necessarily and they don't always need to know. Or want they, to. they don't really need to know. And you're right. I mean, to, to an extent that the people that, you know, care, it's not that they they want to see it go badly. It's just that, you know, we've conditioned them to say, hey, this is your job. These are the 10 steps we need you to do. And we need you to go do those 10 steps 12 times a day, 100 times a day, you know, whatever it is. We need you to go out and, and serve our customers or whatever the case may be. And uh, you're right. You, you've said this a couple of times in different ways throughout the session, but when we interject the technology that now holds them back from doing the very thing that we've hired them to do, that creates this like point of friction. And ultimately, I do believe most of these folks, even the folks that are resistant to change, they know that they have to adopt to the new technology. And it's not that they don't want to. It's just that there are some inherent fears. You know, you and I, when we're involved in a project, we've been planning with the folks at corporate for a year or two years or for however long the project planning phase has been underway. And then we go out into the field and we drop this bomb on the folks in the field and they're having to absorb this all at the same time. And their anxiety level goes, you know, through the roof and they're like, but wait a second, I still have to do 10 deliveries a day. I still have to move all this product. I still have to do all these other things. And now you want me to do this, this other thing too, right? And it's stressful and it may feel comfortable to us. And you talked before about the terminology, like even seemingly little things like our use of, of terminology, if we can simplify the way that we communicate about these changes that are happening. And then to the point that you've made or that we've both now made, giving them some hands-on experience, whether that's a training environment that is set up like you talked about in the past, or whether it's a platform like ours, being able to give them that hands-on experience to build their, their confidence and competence at the same time, that's, that's a huge path for success. And give them, you know, start with what they really just need to know. If you think about it, you go to an ATM and you go put in your ATM card, pin, whatever, you get your money out. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens behind that, but I don't care. Right. Like, I, all I need to know is that the money came out of my account and it's here. Or you go to um, Amazon on your phone and you order up, you know, a, a gift, whatever, a, you know, whatever you need to order, it shows up at your door. There's a whole lot that happens behind that that most people don't care to even, I don't know <laughs> how it works. It just shows yeah. up. And start with the basic with them that this is the your day-to-day -day task that you're going to do with this system. Here's how you're going to execute a work order. Here's how you're going to log your delivery, right? Whatever it is. And that's what to start with and focus on. And then they know that. And then as they, then they're comfortable that this is all it is relating to my day job. And some may go, hey, I'm interested in what else happens with this thing. But a lot of them would be like, okay, I can do that. And then yes. you guys do what you do with it. And, you know that's the the focus uh, sometimes in training becomes so comprehensive like let's show them everything of what happens in the downstream system and here's the history of the i am uh, so glad keep it simple i am and so glad you brought this up this is something we don't talk about enough on on this show and and probably outside of the show as well and uh, somebody that's that's close to us mentioned this phrase of minimum viable proficiency. I thought this was really fantastic. We think about MVP as minimum viable product, but minimum viable proficiency. What is the minimum amount of information that we need to convey? What are the is the smallest number of skills that we need to develop with them inside this new technology that allows them to get back to work quickly? And you you really hit the nail on the head. And this kind of speaks to what I was talking about too, where you know, you and I have been involved in the planning of a project for a year or you know, year and a half or two years or whatever. 
there are 50 different things that are going to happen. But the reality is the 80-20 rule typically applies where 80% of the time they're going to use roughly 20% of the functionality. So let's go identify what that 20% is. Let's get them onboarded into that 20%, get them comfortable with that, get them back out into the field, and then tell them where they can get support for those other things when they encounter those odd scenarios, right? When you have a customer that asks you to do some return process that you haven't done before. Okay, well, you, we didn't give you that in training because we were trying to ease the onboarding process. But of course, there's a way to handle that exception scenario. And, and here's where you go get information in order to, to learn how to do that. But I do think you're right. And we've experienced this with some of our customers where they know and are deeply intimate with all 50 new workflows that are gonna be deployed. And they feel compelled to train the field on all 50 new workflows. And I actually think that holds back the success of a program far more than just giving them the 10 that they're going to use day in, day out, every single day, get them up to speed on that 10, get them comfortable with those 10 workflows, and then get them out of here and out into the field and doing their job. And we can, you know, we could take on the other 40 over time, but the reality is most of them aren't going to need to know those other 40 functions. And I'm, of course, I'm just making up numbers here, but I, I think that's a really good point you raise. Well, and sometimes I ask that other, there's called the 10 basic workflows that they need, right? But those other ones, how often does the exception happen? Yeah. And I've been in, like, things happen. Oh, it happens, you know, one Tuesday a year when it's sunny outside. And you're like, we don't need to build that into the mobile application, right? That Not everything needs to go into the core application. If it's an exception, you know, an exception, exception we could just, sometimes you can make a phone call still and have someone handle it in the back office. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to push as much work as you can out to the techs and let them do it. But sometimes the, the cost of development, the infrequency of use and the lack of familiarization of the person who would be using it, like this doesn't happen very often. Maybe they're going to end up calling somebody for help. How do I do this? So let them just call and, and have someone handle it for them because it doesn't happen. If you get out, you know, 90% of the noise, 80% of the noise from the, from the office folks, you know, it gives them the time to then handle the other stuff. And, yeah. and that's really what your, your, your return on productivity investment comes from both your field and your office. That's, it's a fantastic point. We're already coming up on time here. Um, before we wrap it up with somebody who's got over two decades of experience in, in serving frontline for, workforces with mobile technology. Is there any advice you'd give to somebody who may be deploying their first mobile solution to a workforce or maybe looking for ways to improve adoption? Anything come to mind as a, a piece of wisdom that you can share? Um, go out for some ride-alongs. Go out and see what life is like actually out there for the technician. Make friends with some of them. Because ultimately, when you roll stuff out, um, if you if you've met some of the people, it makes it easier too that they're like, oh, we know this person, right? And then there's a connection um, for adoption, and they feel more open, ask questions, but see what it's really like out with them. But bring some people, bring some of the ultimate end users into the process as you're even doing design and as you start doing testing. And let them start using the application a little bit and give you feedback on what they like and don't like. And really listen to them because that's the ultimate user. You know, And sometimes you can, from the office side, we, we're going to drive change by putting all this in. But often there's a disconnect to what really happens in the field. 
and and listen to what happens and incorporate as much of these you can. But if it's the you know third Tuesday of the month exception twice a you know you don't have to put it all in there. Yeah, um, yeah. Really spend time with the users because that is where you learn and see the most. Um, and figure out how to do it at the beginning of your project, during the project, and at the end of the project, and plan to spend the time with them. And and you learn a lot from them. They learn a lot from you, and it makes an appreciation. I think that makes your overall project go better. You know, I I think that is fantastic advice. And one other thing that I'll add to that is another value is when I've done that, I've met people, and I bring their first names into the conversation. And I don't even do this consciously or necessarily deliberately, but I remember those names because I spent a day with that person, a half a day or a full day. And I remember Eric and I remember Essie and I remember Aaron. I can remember I'm talking about specific names yeah. of people that I've gone out and spent days with. And I've learned things from those experiences. And so when I come back to my team and I'm talking about how we need to craft our solution to solve it. I'm not just thinking of a field worker. I'm thinking of Essie specifically, yeah. a woman that I spent the day with as I watched her, you know, replace motherboards and laptops. Like I was watching her do this activity and we got to know each other. And I talked about her son and we had lunch together. And I really tried to get inside her head because I'm curious and I just want to know. But I think the you know, the the added benefit of that is that when I come back into the conference room then and I'm thinking about how are we going to make you know, technology so that Essie can be successful in her role to harness the passion that she has for a job. I'm not just thinking about her as some anonymous user. I'm thinking of her as Essie, that woman that I spent the, you know, the afternoon with or whatever. So I think that's a really powerful part of it. And it helps drive empathy with the entire team because now we're actually attaching. I usually take pictures too. I don't know if I'm just weird with this, but I like to take pictures of the work happening out in the field. And my team will tell you those pictures end up in in our internal presentations. Like when we're talking about building product, we are bringing those pictures in. And I'm saying, no, I want you to see the tools that they had in their hand while they were doing this thing, right? Yeah. And that's this really is the an important element. Yes, that goes back to the environment thing, right? So yeah, we might've been indoors, but both sides, they, they had a tool in both hands. And now we're telling them they need to click on two places on the screen, like something's not going to work here, right? So that's a really powerful part of it. And I think, uh, I hope everybody listens to your advice. It's it's really good advice to get out and, and spend some time in the field. So thank you very much for taking the time to to share your perspective on this stuff uh, oh, today on the Frontline Innovators, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure to be here. I've had a great time. Happy to, good. Happy to do another one anytime. All right. Well, that's good. Well, to our audience, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for investing the time with Bill and me today. Uh, and just exploring Bill's experiences and, and other ideas around technology adoption with frontline teams. Hopefully you can take an idea or two from today and put it to work with the frontline teams that you support. And unless this is your first episode, and unless you didn't hear me uh, inadvertently plugging my company, you probably already know that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful. And Skillful is the only end-to-end -end systems training platform that's optimized for frontline operations. You can learn more about how you can solve your frontline systems training challenges by visiting skillful.com. Yes, I spell it every time because we have a weird spelling. It's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com, or you can probably click on the link in the show notes and just go right to the webpage. Thank you so much, and I look forward to you joining us on our next episode. Bill, thanks again for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you.